Hi, I'm Doris. I'm a compulsive overeater. <clears throat> there's some of you I haven't seen ever before, and there's others I haven't seen in ages. I'm happy to see everybody tonight. Thanks for being here. Um, Lewis, thank you for asking me. Um, um, let's see. I, I really don't gel that well with Zoom, so I feel very awkward looking at my screen. So I have all of you up in little boxes so I can see you and me because I just don't really want to look at my face the whole time. Um, but I, I, I want to be sure to um, say that I don't represent OA. I just, uh, I'm just going to share my experience and hopefully it's helpful to somebody. Um, but I'm just one member. So if you don't hear anything useful from me, please stay for the rest of the meeting and you'll probably hear something useful from the other members. And there's a lot of other meetings to attend to. Um, there's a few in-person meetings that I've been going to that mean a lot to me. There's a Tuesday night and a Thursday night in person. And there's a Saturday morning at nine in Oakland that I go to as well. And um, I really do need to see people in person just for me. And this has been a difficult time for all of us and isolation and all kinds of things. But for me, as soon as we could go back in person, I just did as much as I could to do that, to support those meetings. because. There's a magic that happens between us, and it doesn't just happen when we're all together in a room. Sometimes it happens over the phone or, you know, it happens a lot of different ways via texting. Um, but I do need my fellows and there you are. So it's nice to see you. Um, but this week I'll be tomorrow morning. I'm not going to be at the meeting, but I'll be at the 730 in Piedmont where we read the big book and discuss it because it contains that's the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous because it contains sort of the, the recipe, <laughs> how it works. There's even a chapter called How It Works, where it kind of explains um, what we're doing and why we're, how we're trying to understand our food compulsions as addictions and try to apply the same solution that alcoholics apply to their alcoholism that we can apply to our compulsions around food. So I find that very useful and I have since I came in and I, I really think it's probably been over 20 years I've been coming in. I'm not sure exactly. Um, but what happened for me was that I really, boy, I didn't want to come in here. I, I knew two people in a way before I came in and both of them did the worst thing, which was they told me what I should do. They, you know what you need? You know what? No one ever wants to hear that. There's not a person in the world who wants to hear, you know what you need? And those two people made me really never, ever want to come here. Um, so I try not to do that to people who I meet who maybe they have food compulsions, maybe they don't. There are normal eaters in the world. I'm not one of them, but they do exist. So I try not to tell people what, what to do. But I have found that learning to see myself as compulsive about food has been very freeing. That I actually feel sort of freed up of my some of my relationship problems with other people where I felt superior to them, like the alcoholics in my life and the addicts, um, because I, after all, I was using food to cope with the same problems that they were using alcohol for. But I felt like I wasn't that fat or it wasn't that much of a problem. I was still pretty functional, yada, yada, yada. But when I really started to suffer from the compulsion, I really needed help. I really couldn't stop. I really couldn't stop myself from think from acting as if the food was going to solve my problems. And I don't know why it became clear to me, but it did. And OA was here for me and I'm grateful for that. Um, but I'll tell you a little bit about what happened, what it was like, what happened and what is it like now? 
um, what it was like was that um, I grew up in a family that had alcoholism in it. And I actually had a really blessed childhood with a lot of friends and a lot of nature and a lot of freedoms. But I also, um, in dealing with my older sister who became an addict and also my mother who was an alcoholic, I learned to deal with my life by eating to deal with my feelings. And I even think that, I mean, some of it I think is genetic. My father is from the East Coast and um, his family was obese. And so I grew up with this like warning about that. Like, don't, don't look like them. Don't eat like them. They're going to get diabetes. You're going to get diabetes, you know, and don't, you know, it's a lot of worry. And at the same time, those family members were always eating foods they weren't supposed to eat. It was always like, yeah, yeah, but we got to go to this deli or we got to eat this thing. Or I'm going to, some people would fly, there's certain foods that they would fly from New York city to us in California. So we could eat it, you know, and, oh yeah, the food. So, um, I love them and I love my father. And I think in an unconscious kind of way, I think me being heavier and like them made me feel cool. I mean, it, I didn't feel cool, but I also did because they were awesome and they were doing, they, they made it seem like this was normal, but I grew up in California and most people were not, most of the people were not overweight. People were much more athletic than me. I was very lazy. I watched a lot of television. I, I really just like, I could, I could see myself in the living room calling to my mother to bring me a diet soda and a snack, like not even able to get up to go into the kitchen and get myself something. So just, you know, anyway, there's, I didn't really suffer so, so much from being heavy, except for when I went to the doctor and the doctor would tell me I need to lose weight. And then I would begin trying to do that. I know that my, I'm sure I've told people this before, but I remember one of my first diets was like, I was just going to eat celery and stand on my head. That's my plan. That's going to work. Right. I just, it worked for about four and a half minutes, you know, because my mother had gone shopping and there was salami. So if you had to choose, you know, if I can't have salami, then I'd rather be fat. Like it didn't, I couldn't really figure out what I was doing. And none of the people who tried to help me ever gave me anything sound to go by that made any sense. Um, my mother's solution was just to drink scotch and smoke camels. So that doesn't really work. You can't just do that and, <laughs> and not eat and survive. Um, but anyway, so the first time I lost some weight was in high school. I was in a musical. I was given a part. I was very excited. And then the director came to me and told me I had to lose weight. And I was absolutely crushed by this, but I did it. I went to Weight Watchers for the first time. I lost some weight. I liked the attention, but I didn't like it that much. I gained some of it back. It was pretty stable weight, but lo and behold, I couldn't keep it off. So by the time I got to OA, I had gained and lost that same 40 pounds so many times that it was like the equivalent of a whole other person. Like, and my weight has never been more than that 40 pounds, but I have never been sort of free of it either. Um, the, the, the 20 years I've been in OA have been the longest period in which I've been a normal weight and my clothes fit fine and I'm not fearful about gaining it back. And I don't feel like I'm on a diet. So in coming to OA, I came to understand that I really cannot diet. There's certain foods I cannot eat because I'm compulsive about them, but I also cannot be on a diet. That my, the feelings that come up for me around deprivation and all this other stuff, I need a lot of support. I need a sponsor. I need meetings. I need the steps. 
I need outside help. I need exercise. <laughs> I need a meal plan. Otherwise, I'll always, or so far as I could tell at the point when I did that first food history, which is what we do as part of step one, is sort of write down what happened. And at first I did it sort of by decades because it just seemed so overwhelming. To my, all my food history, what are you talking about? Um, but it came down to just a few, a handful of foods that when I ate them, I, one of them again, either one couldn't stop or one of them again the next day. And I, I don't, I think just abstaining was, isn't all that I can do. There's certain foods that, I mean, some of it's obvious, like I'm, I'm actually lactose intolerant. So if I eat ice cream, I'm going to get a headache and I'm going to be miserable and unhappy and act like a bitch. That's going to happen. But while I'm eating it, I'll be happy, right? Apparently that ice cream makes everybody happy, right? But I had to learn in a way that that isn't really happiness. If I'm going to get a headache and feel sick and be miserable and everybody's going to be mad at me, then maybe that's not a food for me, you know? And that sounds totally obvious, right? Why would I eat it? I mean, it doesn't suit me. Um, but it took me coming into OA to figure that out. Because I thought, well, everybody else can eat that food. Everybody else is normal about that. They like it. And people who have, quote unquote, better metabolism than me can eat whatever they want. So I should be able to eat that. I can't. Partly because I'm a compulsive overeater. Partly because it doesn't suit my body. And if I can learn to listen to my body, listen to my, not just my hunger, but how I feel and try to understand what my needs are then I don't have to indulge these cravings for things that, that are poisonous to me. Um, there's no question that, that foods that are fatty and um, salty or sweet or whatever, that they, they, they calm you down somehow. They soothe something. But it's just a very, very temporary solution. And it, and it doesn't really, it didn't really help me to do that. Is that fine? Yep, five minutes, yeah. um, so anyway, what happened really in a nutshell is that I was miserable and um, my mother died and I had been taking care of her. I had a small child at the time. My, my husband and my sister had both gone into AA and um, my sister, I don't really want to see or spend time with, but I live with my husband. And at the time we're trying to raise a child and he's in AA and you know what? Recovery is awesome. Recovery is awesome. Even if the person is still, the person is still not doing what you want. <laughs> Recovery is a beautiful thing. And I started to want some of that for myself. And I started to see that as much as I blame my parents and regretted how things had been when I was a child, there was something that I could do about providing my own child with a parent who wasn't miserable, a parent who wasn't hiding in food and obsessing about weight and, you know, thinking one thing, doing something else, or like my mother sitting and being depressed and miserable and just drinking scotch and smoking camels. I didn't want those for my son. So that in itself is a bit kind of codependent, right? Why do this recovery thing for somebody else? Well, I've learned that I, it's hard for me to really take care of myself. But when I started to see myself in a network of other people, some of it being the people that care about me, and some of it being the people that I really need to be there for, like my son, I started to see, like they say, you know, you should wear your seatbelt. You know, like I wear, I learned to wear my seatbelt and that's what OA is like for me. Like I wear my seatbelt because I function in the world with other people. And OA helps me 
my manage my food, which is a big part of maintaining my body and maintaining my mental health. And I really want for the people that I love, especially my son, um, for him to have a parent who's okay, not super needy, not super effed up, not needing more than's appropriate. So I can support him, which is my parents were not able to do that for me. And I want that for him. So what happened was that I saw recovery in these people and I started to, I started to want it so much that I put aside the pride that said, I didn't have a problem. I put aside the part that said, you guys are the addicts, not me. You guys are flawed. I'm okay. Cause look at me functioning. I'm okay. And then when I finally like admitted that I was also an addict, it really changed those relationships with those people. And it feels like it changed my relationship with many, many, many other people. Um, I just feel a sense now of, of gratitude that I was that miserable because it isn't an easy choice to make, you know, to say, I'm going to go into recovery. It's, it's not easy. Um, but I'm really grateful because abstaining from foods that make me sick and behaviors that add to my compulsion has given me a sort of a sense of freedom that I don't need to comfort myself with food and that I left. Okay. Um, by doing these things, you know, working the tools, having a sponsor and just being part of the fellowship, I have a sense of serenity, not all the time, not every minute, but I didn't have that before. I was driven to do for other people and to try to get them to do what I wanted. And with this fantasy that if I could get them to do what I wanted, whether it was quit drinking or go to work, whatever it was, then I would be okay. And it's so much like the fantasy of like, when I'm thin, I'm going to be okay. Like, no, that none of that has anything to do with it. But if I can get my oxygen mask on myself, my seatbelt on myself and really deal with what's real for me and my body, then I just, I show up in the present moment for people in a different way than I could before. And I really, like I said, I wanted that for my son, but I'm the one that benefits from that. I'm present. Like I don't miss, I'm not missing my life. I'm present in it. And again, I'll wrap up. I'll just say that the one thing that, I mean, I'd love to hear on this topic or anything you want to share about, but you know, if you want to talk about the slogan we have like one day at a time, what does that mean? And how has your recovery process brought you more into the present moment? Um, I know when I came in, I couldn't not eat for five minutes after dinner. Like I had to eat, or I couldn't go to bed you know, or I couldn't this, or I couldn't that. I couldn't make it from lunch, from breakfast to lunch without some specific thing. And time, I have a different relationship with time now. And so I wondered, how's your relationship with time? And what do you think about that slogan, one day at a time? So again, if you don't hear anything from me, please keep coming back. And, uh, and Lewis, thank you for asking me and for helping me as you always do. Thank you.